Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works in social media. Today, I'll be joined by Jesse Cole, and we're going to talk about fan evangelism, how to create unforgettable experiences, and trust me, there is so much wisdom inside of this episode. You might even want to listen to it twice. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Jesse Cole. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Jesse Cole. If you don't know who he is, he's the owner of the Savannah Bananas baseball team and founder of Fans First Entertainment. His brand new book is called Fans First, Change the Game, Break the Rules, and Create an Unforgettable Experience. And his work has accumulated more than 4 million followers across the social channels. Jesse, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Excited to be with you. Big, big fan of you and everything you guys are doing at Social Media Examiner. So excited to be with you, my friend. I'm super excited to have you here today. Today, Jesse and I are going to explore how to create unforgettable experiences. We're going to talk about, you know, real world experiences, online experiences, all sorts of fascinating things that Jesse's doing. But before we go there, I want to know your backstory. How'd you get into creating experiences like just start wherever you want to start tell us the whole story because i know there's a fun and exciting story here <laughs> yeah I, I started as a baseball player baseball was my passion in my life and that was my goal is to play professional and then fortunately i tore my shoulder in college and that opportunity was no longer available for me and i went into the front office and started learning with the team in gastonia north carolina 
It was only $268 in the bank account my first day as general manager with three full-time employees and payroll was on Friday. So I had to learn pretty quickly how to try to create excitement and get people wanting to come to the game and buy tickets or sponsorship. And so 10 years there, I experimented and went from just 200 fans a game to selling out games. And then the biggest journey when my wife and I came down to Savannah, Georgia and launched the Savannah Bananas and had the big vision of a brand new team. And Michael, I know, as you know, we came here with this big vision to make it successful. And within three months, we've only sold like two tickets. And uh, by January of 2016, we'd received the phone call that we overdrafted our account and we were out of money. We were missing payroll. And my wife and I had to sell our house and empty out our savings account. And so that was just a little over six years ago. And wait, wait, real quick. I want to know, how did you all feel at that moment? I mean, I want to know what was going on in your head at that moment, because you're such an optimist, but it must have challenged you at that point. Well, what did we get ourselves into? You know, we went from zero debt to over seven figures in debt. You know, my wife and I were just married with only a few months at that point and uh, sleeping on an airbed. And but we had no options. You know, we had bought this team. And we had to figure it out. And so we went all in and said, just every day show up and let's figure it out. And that's what we worked on. Well, keep telling me the rest of the story. Well, then, uh, you know, we had to name the team. So we decided, we told the city, we don't want to be like anything else. We don't want to be something normal. So we became a, a team named after a fruit. And so we named ourselves the Savannah Bananas, but we had a bigger vision, Michael. We wanted to be, you know, could we have a senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas? You know, could we have a male cheerleading team called the Mananas? Could we do music videos to Can't Stop the Peeling? The mascot named Split. And so we came up with all these ideas, as you know, extending the brand and not just being a regular baseball team. And so, yeah, we played our first night in 2016. We somehow convinced 4,000 people to come to see us probably fail. And uh, we were wearing green uniforms because we weren't quite ripe. And we played <laughs> absolutely terrible. It was true. We made six errors. You know, we had all inclusive for every fan and we failed in that. I mean, we gave every ticket, all your food and people waited for three hours, but they watched the players dance and they watched our players deliver roses to little girls in the crowd and they watched the entertainment experience. And after that night, they started to tell everybody. And from that moment on, we spent zero dollars on marketing, but spent everything on the experience. And we're so fortunate. We've sold out every single game since that moment. And our wait list just passed over 70,000 for tickets. And now we're traveling all over the world playing games. So it's a wild journey. And most importantly, my wife and I are sleeping on a real bed. So it's really come full circle. Well, and I want to go back to a little bit of your story. Where did you find inspiration for these crazy thoughts? Was it the 10 years working in the college front office or was it some other place? Because, you know, clearly you didn't come up with a lot of these ideas just out of the ether, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think number one, you learn a lot by doing, you know, that's what Herb Kelleher said with uh, Southwest. He said, he was asked, what's your strategy for building Southwest? He said, it's called doing things. And it's like, yes, you learn by doing. So 10 years of doing, but PT Barnum, Walt Disney, Jeff Bezos, WWE, Grateful Dead, Circus Soleil, a uh, constant inspiration to really think about um, how to do things differently. And you know, we realized we're not in the baseball business, we're in the entertainment business. So that was the number one thing we realized. And we went all in on the entertainment. And that was really how we were able to differentiate ourselves. So what year was it the first game that you did that where you were wearing green? How many years ago was that? 2016. Okay. Share a little bit about what changed. Bring us a little bit up to the present because obviously you figured out how to get people there on the first day come crick or whatever that phrase is right and but you kept getting them there so along the way there must have been some interesting things that happened i would love to hear a little bit more about that story and bringing us up to the present and some of the cool exciting news that you've got coming with television let's let's like talk a little bit about that sure very fortunate but yeah so when we started it was just hey let's get people in the ballpark and try to put on a show 
And then we started just attacking all the frustration and boring parts of baseball. And so, you know, for many, baseball is long, slow, and boring. And for the baseball purists, I'm sorry, but I'll be the only owner that will say that. And so we said, you know, can we have our players do choreographed dances? Can we have nonstop music, nonstop entertainment? We started attacking that. And after two or three years, it was doing really well. And then we eliminated all of our sponsorship in our ballpark, which makes no sense for our sports team to do. Why did you do that? Because the name of our company is Fans First Entertainment. And every decision we make is at Fans First. And I don't believe anybody comes to a ballpark to be sold to, marketed to, or advertised to. And so they go against each other. Sometimes ads, I mean, I have a four-year-old son and every day he's on YouTube. Dad, skip ads. Dad, I don't like ads. Skip ads. Like Literally a four-year-old knows he doesn't like ads. So why are we plastering a stadium and a ballpark experience with ads? So long-term thinking. So all these moves made people shake their heads and not understand. Why is every ticket all-inclusive? Why are you doing this? And then the biggest move was the test of banana ball in 2018. And long story short, Michael, we were taking videotapes and pictures of our grandstand every 30 minutes. I had our ushers take this. And we were noticing fans were leaving the ballpark after two hours, two and a half hours completely. And we said, we can't just make the game exciting, entertaining. We have to make the game faster. So we started experimenting with a game with different rules. And that happened in 2018. And that was the biggest kind of trajectory because that's really where all the uh, momentum has happened now. And I can get into that wherever you want to go. Well, okay. So first of all, all inclusive means what in baseball? Uh, well, a lot of things in baseball. I mean, for you, what does that mean? Because all inclusive, I don't know. I've, I know what it means when you go to like a resort, but what does it mean when you come to a Savannah Bananas game? We took our teams on cruises. So we really get inspiration from the outside. So we went to Carnival and we're like, huh, all your food's covered. All your entertainment's covered. Why don't we just do the same thing? And so all your burgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches, soda, water, popcorn, dessert are all included with no ticket fees, no convenient fees, no parking fees, and it's $20. Wow. Okay. That's fascinating. I love the fact that you were taking 30-minute pictures of the stadium and you were watching that, you know, hey, we're losing people at certain key juncture points during the game. And I would imagine in the past you would solve that with entertainment, but this time around you solved that with coming up with a brand new game called Banana Ball. So like, what does that mean? Are you starting like in a brand new league of, of Banana Ball teams or what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. So we started testing with ourselves and everything we do is a small bet. You know, I believe in bets and I know you've done so much with your company as well. And so we tested it with our fans. We didn't ask surveys because we'd rather watch how they act and how they react. And so we tested it at a couple of games, exhibitions. And 98% of our fans stayed till the end of the game. Wow. They're like, all right, we're on to something. Normally in baseball, it's 50 to 60%, especially as major league games get longer. So we're like, all right. So then could we test this on the road? So we did a one city world tour. Yes, we actually announced it as a one city world tour. And we had one city, Mobile, Alabama. They rolled out the yellow carpet in 2021. And somehow we sold 7,000 tickets in 24 hours. And again, 98% of the fans stayed to the end and they didn't want to leave. So we're like, huh, we're on to something. So then last year we did a seven city world tour. And same thing, we sold out seven stadiums, even a major league spring training home where the Astros had a thousand people for the day game and we sold out at 8,000 for the night game. So like now we're on to something. So now we're expanding to 25 cities. We'll have two teams similar to the Globetrotters, except every game counts. It's a real game. We take on challengers as well. And we travel with 120 people, our pep band, our male cheerleading team, our breakdancing coaches, we bring everything. And that's really the future of the bananas. Okay. So talk to us about how social has played into this social media and also talk to us a little bit about the TV show. Yeah, sure. Social has become uh, everything for us. And that's why I was so fired up when you invited me to be on your show, because, you know, when we realized clarity for us was we make baseball fun. And I think any company, whatever you do, what can you be the most of? And so we were said, hmm, 
We're not going to be the best baseball team in the world, but can we be the most fun baseball team in the world? And so we started designing our games with crazy hitting entrances, guys coming up to bat with their bats on fire and playing in stilts and kilts and all these craziness. And we said, well, why don't we capture that and show that off? And so our flywheel became our games. You have the game and then you get an entire video team to capture it all and then share it on social media. And so this started in 2020 really heavily. And we put a lot of emphasis on TikTok because what we do is TikTokable. It's very crazy dances in the middle of the game and all this. And so all of a sudden we started growing, 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 and we hit a million followers on TikTok uh, on March 13th uh, earlier this, this year. And now we're about to hit 3 million a few months later. And so we have 2 million more followers than any major league baseball team. And uh, Instagram's grown. YouTube, we have more than every major league baseball team, but two, I think right now, and we haven't even put any emphasis on it. We only have 100,000 subscribers, but uh, it's just because of the emphasis on the fun. So everything we do is we want to show the fun, grow fans, then they want to come see games and then hopefully buy some bananas merchandise. And that really is our ecosystem for becoming fans. So that really is a form of marketing for you guys then, right? Because clearly people are discovering you for the first time through the socials because they're seeing these crazy videos. And I would imagine some people want to come and meet these people that are performing right after seeing them on TikTok and Instagram and all this stuff, right? hundred percent. So yeah, we spend $0 on traditional marketing and even all in our social, we don't spend any money on the social. It's all organic. And that's part of our system. We learned a lot from Saturday Night Live. So every week we get together and we talk about OTTs, the over the top ideas. What are the crazy ideas we can put together? And we write them, we test them, we rehearse them in front of a live audience, and then we film them and we produce them. And it's a real system that we've developed to maximize it. And it's to work out pretty well over the last few months. Mention the TV show. What's coming up with that? <laughs> uh, so why don't I mention the first, the hundred rejections first? You know, again, it sounds like a lot of things are coming together and yes, they are, but there was a hundred rejections. So we had producers come up to us in 2018 about the show and they started doing it, started sharing. And everyone's like, no, we don't want to do these guys. We don't want to do these guys. And then Sports Center did a piece on us in August. And it was one of the most viral sports center pieces they did, went nuts. And so then we pitched them and they're like, we've never done a show like this. You're not major league. You're not, you're not Derek Jeter. You're not Michael Jordan. And so they said, slim shot. And then all of a sudden they kept seeing the social media, the social media, the social media and the buzz. And they said, we're going to give this a shot. And I remember exactly where I was. I got the phone call and uh, they said, we're green lighting this project. We're sending ESPN on tour with you for the world tour this spring. And they stayed with us for two months. And yes, we have a a show coming out premiering on ESPN two in, in mid August. And then it's going to be, you know, four to five episodes after that premiering on ESPN plus. So we're very excited. Congratulations. Well, first of all, it's an amazing story. I thank you for sharing it. There are people right now who are marketers or entrepreneurs, and they may not understand why creating experiences like what you've created is so important to business. Maybe they're a little skeptical, you know, what do you want to say to them? Why is creating amazing experiences so critical to your business and other businesses for that matter? Well, I think it's one of the things we all know, it's just hard to teach and hard to test. We all know the best form of marketing is word of mouth marketing. And, and you can create that with social, you know, our team, we don't measure the amount of likes, the amount of follows. We don't measure the comments. We measure the shares. So when we get together every week, we talk, well, which video had the most shares? And then we discuss why. And because that is theoretically word of mouth marketing. So if we create a great experience, something very unique, something fun, something different, then all of a sudden you get people that want to share that. And so I think a lot of companies, we should spend more time on idea sessions, as we call them, idea paloozas, on those things that they can do, not just, hey, this is the way we've always done it. Let's do a marketing campaign. Let's try to generate sales. Why don't we create videos to try to create fans? And that's, that's really kind of the, the driver of everything we do. Do you get a sense that a lot of people are, are returning customers? 
Yes, we're very fortunate. You know, again, this is something that the Grateful Dead did better than anyone. I know we both know David Meerman Scott and marketing lessons from the Grateful Dead. And, you know, they had deadheads that followed them all around wherever they go. And we had fans coming to, you know, West Palm and Kansas City and Montgomery and Birmingham. And they had signs with check marks of every single city that they were coming to. And I was like, you guys are crazy. Yeah. You know, for me, that's why every night at our ballpark, we do between five to 10 things new that we've never done before in front of a live crowd because we want them to come see something they've never seen before. And we want to stay relevant. That's something that's very important to us is staying relevant. Well, and you could argue that this is what makes Walt Disney World and Walt Disneyland unique, right? Because they always have different things going on and try to get season ticket holders or whatever to come and be part of it. So, well, first of all, this is awesome. And I know you've written a book all about some of the stuff we're going to talk about, but I would love to hear at a high level what is your strategy? And I really want to zoom in on your 5E strategy so that people can be thinking about how to do this for their businesses. Yeah. You know, again, when you start, you never really have a strategy. You just start and you start learning. So when we started, we're just like, can we get anybody to buy tickets? Can we get anybody to come to our games? And then once you start doing things, you can look back and see, oh, all right, this makes sense. This makes sense. So when we started looking back on how we were able to develop fans and a wait list of over 70,000 for tickets and you know, a merchandise business that's well into the millions that is shocking to us. I don't understand it. It's based on a lot of the ease that we do. And the system that we've kind of created in the book Fans First is eliminate friction, entertain always, experiment constantly, engage deeply, and empower action. And when you look at all the decisions we make, they all are involved in those ease. And that's how we believe companies should stop chasing customers and start creating fans. And that that fits into that whole body. So let's dig into these. First of all, entertain always, you know, clearly seems to be one of your sweet spots. And for people that are listening that may not have a physical location that they go to, like you do, where they come to a stadium, right? You know, let's talk about, first of all, what is entertain always? And then maybe we can talk about how this could apply to businesses that are not just in, quote unquote, the entertainment business. Do you understand where I'm going with that? <laughs> 100%. You know, I, I think what we looked at, and, and the definition of entertain is to provide enjoyment. So, you know, really, and P.T. Barnum, one of my mentors said, the noblest art is that of making others happy. I think we're all in the entertainment business. And I think more now than ever, people are hungry to be entertained. And so if you can change the lens and say, no matter what you sell, you know, I spoke to a cybersecurity company this morning. They had me, this crazy guy in a yellow tux, speaking to them about entertaining. How can they make the experience entertaining? So for us, you know, we develop our stages. And in the book, I share seven stages of the entertainment experience. And it's basically the customer journey. You know, for us, it's the first impression. So whether that's on your website, your social media, and then the next, and the next stage is the parking lot. So that's coming in and we have parking penguins and a party. That's a whole nother story. Then you come into the, the plaza where we have a whole performance where we have the pep band and people in banana costumes and the banana nanas. And then you have the concourse and everyone in a concourse in a sporting event, they're like, you just get food. No, we have entertainment purposely planned. We literally have our pep band will play in bathrooms in the middle of the game. And people are like, what is happening in the bathrooms? So it's all about that. We have the world's smallest bookstore, which I put my book into an old closet. So people take pictures of the world's smallest bookstore as they walk through the concourse. Then you have the grandstand and the seats. That's the next stage. And then on the field, which is really the only stage that Major League Baseball uses. And then finally, the last impression. And that is a stage that is so important. I know we probably both know Shep Hyken. And, you know, the last impression leaves a lasting impression. And I, that stayed with me from Shep for many years now. And it's so key. And a social media example, if you want here, I can share, Michael. So at the end of the games, we have our pet band play. We also put our arms around each other. It's very kumbaya in a weird way, but we sing Stand By Me, players, fans, cast, the, the band's playing. It's a really cool, it's called our Kiss Goodnight, as Walt Disney would say. But I realized 
we were dropping the ball. Our fans would leave the game, hopefully have an amazing experience. And the next day, they carry on with their life. We missed a last impression. So on the world tour, I said, we're going to do it differently. So my wife and I, after every night, we'd write a handwritten letter about the night, about the experience. We would scan it into our computer. Our marketing team would send it out the next morning. Thank you letter from the owners of the bananas. So that was a starting point. That's okay. But the next one I'm really proud of. And so this was, a, I said, what happens a week later? What's your last, last impression? And so I remember the song, Michael. Do you remember Bare Naked Ladies, One Week? Do you remember that? It's been one week. Do you remember that song? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now that you're saying it. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, it's way back, like 1996, way back in the days. But it was, it was an iconic song. And I thought, it was like, could we send a video about one week after experiencing? Could we write something, use our musical team, and do something? And so I sent it to our, 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 uh, one of our interns, uh, who is now a videographer, and he wrote a song. It's been one week since you've seen us play. Watch the Banana Nanas dance in a funny way. And we captured all the video from that weekend, put it into a video with specific lyrics, and would send it out to everyone that came to the game a week later. Okay, hold on. I want to pause on this for a second. So what I'm hearing you say is at one point you were like, okay, we had this great entertainment experience and everybody left the game feeling good. Then you decided, all right, we're going to handwrite a unique letter every game and we're going to actually have it produced and handed to people as they left so they could read it later and, and have it as a memento, if you will, of the game. But then you realized, well, the last impression doesn't need to be when they leave your parking lot. The last impression can be whenever you want it to be. So what I'm hearing you say is that you are capturing and you do capture footage throughout the game. And then your production crew, if you will, puts together the video clips and then you've got the music that's the same every one, but you've got this unique, like, for lack of better words, slideshow, but video, right? Is that kind of what you're doing? Yeah. It's, oh, it's actually a full produced video. Yeah. Our, our team produces it. That I meant like a slideshow, but it's actually more than that, obviously, because, but the music track probably remains the same, but you change up the video every one based on what happened in the game. Every weekend it's new video footage. And even some of the lyrics change based on which cast members are involved in what shows and it takes work. But I think the big key here, you talked about entertain always, you brought that up. We are not selling fans anything. We don't even have merchandise on that email. We don't have anything. It's the goal is solely to entertain them and, and provide something fun for them. We, as we know this, people don't want to be sold. People want to buy. And so what happens is indirectly, people just say, I really want to wear something that represents this team. What was the response to this video idea that you did? <laughs> just like our response to invoices. I mean, we even wrote invoices that are ridiculous. I mean, people, right, they were shocked. They were surprised. People said, thank you. That made my day. And we didn't have a game. It was a week later. So we heard from a lot of, I mean, it was hundreds of views. So we would each night, you know, we'd have 4,000 people at our stadium, but, you know, we were getting about probably 40% to actually watch the video, which is pretty cool. Now, there's some people listening right now that are saying, that seems really expensive, Jesse and Mike. Why would I do that? What's your reaction to that? You're right. It is. You probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. The reality is um, it's part of our video team. You know, we are focused on long-term fans over short-term profits. And sometimes you have to do the unscalable to do the scalable. From us calling and we're struggling doing it now, we used to do it. Every fan that bought a ticket, we called them and thanked them. Every person that bought merchandise, we called and thanked them. But when it got over 150,000 people, we realized that it was very difficult to do. But that's where I believe if you start creating fans, then they start telling everyone about the experience. And again, it's why our wait list, when we announce we're going to go to a new city, that wait list jumps in the thousands right away and we don't have to spend any marketing on it because the fans help sell it out. Okay. I want to dig in on the first impression. We just spent some time talking about the last impression and why it's so important. And I do believe from my understanding of psychology and marketing that it's the first and last 
things that people tend to remember. Generally, it's not the stuff in the middle. You know, it might be a climatic experience in the middle of the thing, but it's what their very first experience is, is what they're most excited about when they come through that experience. And then as they leave that experience, you know, so let's talk about like, what, what are some things we can do to create a first impression experience? practical things maybe that anyone can do. I know you do crazy things, but what are some, you can talk about things you do, but you can also talk about things anyone can do. Let's talk about that a little bit. So an example. So no matter what you do, you're selling something generally. If you're a business, you're selling something. So I think the biggest opportunity every company has is to go over the top and celebrate when they buy from them. So whatever it is, most people, you know, and again, I got a little inspiration from CD Baby back in the day, but when people buy a ticket from us, you get a video sent to you. And every year we do a new video. But like the first one was like, congrats, you just made the best decision of your day. Right now is your ticket quarter. It came in, a high priority siren went off in our stadium and our Bananiacs rushed to the ticket laboratory to produce your tickets. And then a banana nana slowly walked in and hand selected your tickets. And we placed them on a silk pillow. We raised them up in the air and sang, nah, Savania to celebrate the birth of a new fan. And then we brought your tickets down to the vault where they're underneath our stadium under maximum security, ready for you to go bananas. And People write back like, what is going on there? But the reality <laughs> is that's the video they get. You set the tone. Right. Or how about this, Michael? This came from our ticket experience coordinator. Again, because we have this fans first lens. Before fans come to our game, we send them a playlist of music to listen to, to hype them up for the game. So for us, it's Can't Stop the Peeling. It's Holler Back Girl, which has that This Is Bananas, Gwen Stefani part, and Hey Baby. And so you can set the tone. If, if, if someone buys from you or if someone's about to have a meeting with you, hey, I want to send you this playlist to get you fired up for this meeting. And you can have a pre-playlist already done. It's just something that's a little bit fun. And when they buy from you, celebrate them. Make it big. Make it bigger than larger than life because that makes people feel special. And that's the game of the game is make people feel like they matter. And I, that's what we try to do. Okay, this is a crazy question, but how do you hire someone to help you with this kind of stuff? Because there aren't like fan experience job titles out there. You understand where I'm going with this? A hundred percent, yeah. Well, I'll tell you right now, if you put a director of WOW and offer the, uh, as a title, and say this is an, an offer a decent pay. I think a lot of people get a lot of desire in, uh, out of doing that and making people feel special. But we've just built it into our ecosystem. So I learned this from uh, Darren Ross, the CEO of Magic Castle Hotel. And he said, we incentivize stories over sales. And I was like, what? He goes, we'll have a month contest or a quarter contest with the best story for a guest. And we'll give them a trip on a cruise. And so He's getting all these stories submitted of amazing things that they're doing for their guests. And I think companies always incentivize sales. You hit this, we'll do a bonus. We'll do this, bonus. Incentivize stories. And so then you start seeing everything with a lens. Right now, Michael, I don't see ads anymore. When I sold sponsorship back with our first team, I saw every billboard, heard every radio ad. I paid attention to it because my lens was focused on it. Now our entire team's lens is focused on how do we create these fans' first moments. We see it with everything because we talk about it after every night. What were the fans' first moments of the night? I want to zoom in on, on eliminate friction. I think that when you said earlier, like one of your E's is eliminate friction, my guess is you're thinking about friction in the customer experience. Is that specifically what we're referring to? Talk to me a little bit about like, how do we know when there's friction and how do we know when to eliminate it? Because I'm sure there's reasons why these friction points sometimes exist, you know? So I'm sure they're put in place for security reasons, maybe in your case, or, I mean, who knows, right? Like there's some, some rationale somewhere along the way, someone decided this was important, right? But now it ought to be eliminated. I'm just like you, I love eliminating friction, but that's not easy for some people. So how do we even figure out where the friction is to eliminate and 
so on and so forth. Yeah, you got to put yourself in their shoes. I mean, yes, all those friction points that are added is because one person abused the system. It's like, why does it say no shoes, no shirt, no service? Are so many people walking into gas stations with no shoes, no shirt? Like, what is happening? <laughs> I know. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, but it's think about in your life. And this is another thing. Unfortunately, my wife and I see it everywhere. You know, when we call our bank and it's like, <laughs> dial one for this, dial 12 for this, dial 26, give your social security number for this. Are you an organ donor? Yes or no? Like, what are you asking me? Like, I just want to <laughs> speak to someone. That's all we want. Give an example, go on an airline and always they're trying to sell that credit card going down. Like that is actually a friction point, but because they sell one a trip, the CEO is like, oh, this makes millions of dollars, but yet it actually upsets 99% of the people trying to be sold that credit card over and over again. We just have a lens to it. So for instance, just look at the things that you hate about either your business or another business and start writing them down and say, how do we not do that? So give me a point, like you buy tickets at Ticketmaster, you have your ticket fee, and then you have your convenient fee, which is the most inconvenient fee in the world. So a $65 ticket is 92.27. Like what are we doing? So we eliminated it. Now, is there a lot less money on, uh, on the front end? hundred percent, but fans are happier. A $35 shirt should be $35. It shouldn't be 42.50. And so we eliminate all of our shipping fees. So again, we eliminate so much of our short-term profits to create long-term fans, but you put yourself in their shoes. Walt Disney did this better than anyone else. He had an apartment above his fire station at Disneyland, and he used to walk the park in disguise. He would stand in line, and he said, whenever I go on a ride, I'm always asking what's wrong with this thing and how can it be improved? How often do we put ourselves in our customer's shoes and say, what is wrong with this part of the process and how can it be improved? I love that. Okay, experiment always. Experiment constantly. I can't have too many always. It's like entertain always. And then oh, okay. Okay. Experiment frequently, let's say. Okay. Yes, either way. Roll, yeah, yeah. Roll. Experiment though. But experiment. A lot of people struggle with experimenting because it takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort. And it means that you got to make room for it. So talk to us a little bit about why experimenting is so value and, and how to deal with the stuff that doesn't work. Because most people, once they do something, they don't ever undo it. They just keep it there and they just layer it on. Right. So talk to us a little bit about experimenting. Yeah, we put so much weight on new experiments. We put so much weight on these new things that we're going to do. In the scheme of things, it's just small little things. The more you do, it doesn't... I mean, we had some terrible promotions at last night's game. We had toddlerography. This girl had to teach the players how to dance, and she froze up and stood there and wouldn't dance. And 4,000 people were watching this. And I'm like, this is as bad as it gets. But then all of a sudden, next inning, we have the sing-off. And then we have you know, our yellow promotion. We have all these different things. So you just get through these experiments. So... The mindset, and I look at, again, your input affects your output. And I've been fortunate to have so many, so much good input from some great leaders. And you can say what you want about him and them, but with Amazon, they're one of the greatest innovators of our time. And he, Jeff Bezos said, our success is a direct function of how many experiments we do per year, per month, per week, per day. And when we meet with our team, we ask what experiments are they doing for our fans? And so everything is based on these trial of experiments. And so I think you know, when you look at Amazon Fire Phone, it was a $200 million failure. I mean, the Fire Phone was a disaster, but the technology in the Fire Phone helped build the Amazon Alexa there you go. and built the Echo. There you go. So it's how you look at the experiment. So whatever, as bad as toddlerography happened last night, we learned, always have a backup, be able to do the shift, have this option. And we learned that we're going to be better the next day. And so I think it's, it starts from the top and actually celebrating experiments. Can you have an award for an employee or department who did the most experiments this month, this quarter? And you start celebrating it. And if it doesn't work, it's okay because that leads to the other one. So I know this is macro, but 
I told our Savannah, who runs our TikTok, I go, every day we post a TikTok when we first started in 2020. Wait, is her name actually Savannah? Yeah, I know. It's very confusing. But yes, <laughs> her name is her name is Savannah, but we'll, we'll stay with it. We don't call her Savannah Banana. She's solely Savannah, and it's only one N. But that's a whole other story, too. That's very confusing. Okay. We started TikTok in 2020. We had 26 followers. And I said, post every day. She goes, what are we going to post? I go, I don't know. But if we post every day, we're going to learn faster. And so we started posting every day. And soon we had one pop. We said, why did that pop? And we said, because we did this, do another one like that. And then do another one like that. And I think one of the reasons why we've had so much success is that we're learning faster than anyone else because we're experimenting more and doing more than most major league teams will do. And how do you judge whether it's a success or not? That's an important question, right? Like, obviously, you know, when there's a fail, when someone freezes up on the field, but there's got to be a way to judge some maybe granular thing like this. How do you know whether your experiments you're doing are really working? What's the metric you, Jesse Cole, are looking for when you run experiments? I, I wish I had more science to it. Michael, you're trying to make me sound, sound smarter than I am. But. And it, do, it doesn't have to be a metric, but you're looking for something. What is it? What are you looking for? How do you know when you run an experiment, if you want to run it again, what's your thoughts? Or maybe, maybe you have other people looking at these things for you, but there's got to be like, how do you gauge if it's successful? So two things. So we followed the SNL framework during Saturday Night Live during our, our games. And so coming up with all the ideas before our first game on world tour, we bring a VIP, 150 people, and they get to watch rehearsals. And yes, we do rehearsals instead of baseball practice. Most oh, of okay. very different. Okay. So we do a full rehearsal. And while Zach, our director of entertainment is watching the rehearsal on the field, how are they doing the dance? How are they doing this hitting entrance? How are they doing the scoring celebration? I'm watching solely the fans reaction. And so I'm watching, does their phone come up? Are they laughing? Are they cheering? Are they distracted? Are they, do they look away? And based on that, we determine whether we're going to roll with that and do it again. In regards to on social media, it's very easy because of the metrics that you see. The biggest experiment we did this past season was called the 3-2-2. And in the middle of the game, on the third inning, on the second batter, on the second pitch, 3-2-2, our pitcher, second baseman, shortstop, and center fielder would do a choreographed dance, a TikTok dance, or a trend and then throw the ball in the middle of the game. And we tested this our first game in March, and we did the drop challenge, the TikTok challenge. So he dropped all the way down, held his arm up. They all did in unison. And then that night, it got 20 million views, thousands of shares. We said, wow, disrupting the game and doing something in the middle of a game is huge. The next week, we did a bigger dance, got 30 million views, then 50 million views, then 80 million views, and hundreds of thousands of shares. That test proved that we kept putting the gas on, and that's where we went with it. Absolutely fascinating. It's almost like a flash mob in the middle of a game or something like that, right? People have never seen it. Yeah, we didn't know if it was going to work. We're like, and A, can he actually throw a strike? And our pitchers have learned how to throw strikes and get guys out with the middle of a dance in a game. And, you know, I think that those as a whole have got over 250 million views just this spring. Fascinating. So, okay. You mentioned a couple of times that you're inspired by Saturday Night Live and not a lot of people know what you know about Saturday Night Live because you've studied what they do. But I would love to you to share a little bit more about like how you come together as a team and come up with ideas, because it sounds like you guys are super intentional about it. And maybe a lot of people could learn from your methodologies here, because I'll be honest, like, you know, I've got a decent sized team. You've got a decent sized team, you know, but I think unless I'm intentional about like doing something to cultivate these ideas, which it seems you do, I don't think they're ever going to get to me you know, or I'm not going to have time to process them. So what is it about the way that you do what you do that others could learn from as far as idea generation? I appreciate it. This is tough. You know, in the opening of the show, there's a clip that I saw a clip. It's a uh, something like we're just kids running a baseball team and that's what makes it fun. And that's how I still feel. We're just kids running a baseball team, trying experiments. So I appreciate going into our ideology of how we do things, but yeah, following SNL, 
to be unbelievably creative, you have to actually put boundaries and constraints, which is crazy. If you ask great creators, they want deadlines because they won't just get, they need a deadline. And yes, they'll probably stay up till five in the morning, three in the morning, getting it done, but they need that deadline. And so what SNL did, they set up pitch sessions on Monday where you pitch uh, the new host and Lauren Michaels, what some of the ideas are. Then you start writing Tuesday, you write through the night on Tuesday, which is crazy. Then Wednesday, you have a table read in front of everyone and you see which ones are liked. They narrow it down to about 40. They start building sets. They start testing them out. And then on Friday, they do more rehearsals. Saturday, they do in front of the live audience, the VIP at eight o'clock. And then they cut three to four to get to their final show. That is their methodology. Oh, wow. Okay. Seriously. I didn't know that. So wait, what you're saying, Saturday Night Live is actually edited. You only see the best skits on Saturday. The live audience sees everything. No, no, it's live. So what they do is at eight o'clock, they do say 15 skits. I see. And then they, three of them that didn't go well, they cut those from the live show ah. at 1130 and they will choose the best 10, the best 12, whatever that number is. Fascinating. Very low. I love the process. So now how did you apply this to your company? So we started the same thing. Monday mornings called our OTT meetings. So we get together our creative team and come up with over the top ideas. We don't have a marketing plan, but we have an attention plan for our team. And so it starts with creating over the top, outrageous ideas that make baseball fun. So this is where we come up with, we had a batter come up to the plate and do an actual split in the batter's box. You know, this is where we'll have a player do ballet while he's pitching and coaching and all these ideas of things that happen. We come up with these coming out on a motorcycle and et cetera. And so we'll come up with those and then we'll say, can we pull it off? And we'll put it into the script. We'll do a table read with our whole marketing team and say, these are the crazy OTTs. Then we'll start thinking of how we're going to film it. How are we going to capture it? We start rehearsals Thursday, Friday. We do the live rehearsal in front of VIP. We choose what we're going to do officially and do it in the game. And I would say 50% don't work that well. But the ones that do work that you end up seeing usually work really well. And I think, Michael, you asked a question a little while ago about how do you do this and start... If you asked my executive rock star, and that's, I like titles. So instead of executive assistant, executive rock star, to, to look at my schedule, I would say 40% of my time is actually idea sessions with our team. Heavy on Monday. I always want to start the week with them moving forward. And then I usually have two more throughout the week where we get together and it's 30 minutes to an hour dedicated on solely ideas for our show. And I think leaders, they think ideas is a waste of time. I think it's the best use of time because that's what really moves the needle in making big change and making an impact. I love this because, I mean, as the CEO of my company, if I'm intellectually honest, a lot of the ideas I get by listening to podcasts or watching documentaries, and then I come in with these ideas and then my team gets overwhelmed because they haven't been programmed to have flexibility to, and I'm sure that's probably how it started with you, right? 100%. 100%. So you had to slowly rejigger everything, right? In order to like get, or did you have to hire special people to be able to like do this? You need executors. You need executors. Uh, Alan Fadden wrote a great book, Innovation on Demand, and he set up the care assessment. And there's four types of people, creators, advancers, refiners, and executors. And me and one other person, our entire staff are thoroughbred creators. Then you need the advancers, the refiners to say, oh, this might not work. And then the executors to finally make it happen. So you find out all the people on your team. And I knew, wow, we need some executors. We got some good advancers, but executors that can finish it and finalize it. So our director of entertainment is one of the best executors there is. We have a creative director who its title is creative director, but he's really an executor. And so in our meetings, it's me, another creator, an advancer, and two executors. And so just the five of us, we can actually come up with idea and know how to make it happen and execute it within that time. 
And I think that's so key. We come up with ideas as leaders and say, hey guys, we're gonna do this, but you don't have the right people in the room or they don't know how to do it. But if you're all in the room together, you figure out how to do it together and you get to throw in the new ideas. The refiner might say, oh, change this, adjust this. Jeff Bezos is a creator refiner. So he actually can create and refine all together and then he gives it to an executor to make happen. And so that's how we were able to do it. And I think if you put not just yourself, Michael, but if you have a team together to do it, that's when the magic happens. You must allocate time during your two and a half hour or however long your games are by design that this is always going to be something new in this gap. Or do you have somebody who's really good at kind of saying, all right, we've done this one too much. It's time to pull that one out. I mean, like, because like, if I put myself through any customer experience for any product, there's only so many touch points and so many opportunities you have to be in front of that customer. And generally speaking, if you're going to insert something new, you've got to stop something. I often call it a stop in list, right? Inside of my company. But how do you, do you engineer that into your entire agenda as far as like, we always are going to have like, a, you know, this slot is always going to be new. Exactly. So in, in our script, are we going to have spots for new? Because we already have stuff that's our, our hits, the favorites that we're going to. That you know works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great timing because last night we got ambitious and we put like four brand new promotions in the middle of the game. And didn't work to the fans. It was probably an A show. Yeah. To me, it was a D minus show because we were doing four things and it was, we had dogs on the field and peanut butter and we had family fetch and just some weird games that didn't make any sense. We were, we were testing too much. We got uh, a little cocky, I guess you could say on our, on our execution. After every game, I walk with our director and we do laps around the field. Usually walk another mile, which is crazy at 11 o'clock at night. But um, we go through every promotion. And what we said last night, I said, Hey, we're going to do tons of crazy hitting entrances, walk-up entrances, pregame stuff. We'll do our 10 new things, but only one main promotion during the game on the field will be brand new. Let's have our favorites. Let's have our habits. Let's have that somewhere in the fifth inning, fifth or sixth inning, so we can have our hits, which rotate. We have 300 promotions, which rotate. Wait, what is a promotion? Because when you say promotion, marketers think something different. Yeah, sorry. A promotion is an on-field skit, an on-field game. So okay, good. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's, it's, we call it promotions, but yeah, an on-field game. And then, yes, we learned last night, do one brand new experiment we've never done in front of a live crowd on the field during a game as a promotion skit, and then keep the favorites and the hits moving around. And we learned we went a little overboard. And I think that's important. You can't try to do everything. You're in trouble if you try to. Well, and I would imagine if people haven't engineered such an experience like you have where they have a slot for something new, then they got to go through the process of figuring out what to eliminate, right? What to not just eliminate, but maybe what to just experiment with cutting it and trying something new and see if it works, right? 1,000%. I mean, every baseball game you've probably been to in the world, what do they play in the seventh inning? Take me out to the ball game, all right? Come on, like why? And so we've had a we've done a second inning stretch instead where we had a Richard Simmons impersonator and the whole stadium stretching, which was weird. But then this past year, we said, I saw uh, where fans sing, like at football stadiums, they all sing a song. I said, Yellow by Coldplay. If everybody can sing, look at the stars, look how they shine for you and everything was yellow and everyone's holding up their flashlights. So now the seventh inning stretch, we eliminated take me out to the ball game for some that everyone, people like, you got to sing take me out to the ball game. I was like, no, nah, we don't really have to. And we tested it and it's better. So sometimes you have to eliminate something that is such a mainstay that people are used to, to try something new because it can become even greater. Jesse Cole, this has been a fascinating discussion that we've had covering all sorts of things that I think our audience is going to absolutely love. If people want to get your new book, Fans First, I would imagine it's everywhere you can get books. But if they want to reach out to you and or your team on the socials, is there a preferred social platform? And if they want to go to a website and check out your Savannah Bananas, where do you want to send them? How do they find 
you all. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty easy to find. I was told if you just search yellow tux, you'll find me because yes, I am in a yellow tux a lot and yellow tux is, is my thing. So I'm easy to find. I spend most of my time on LinkedIn. I'm impressed by you and so many of the marketers that are part of this channel that dominates so many of the different platforms. I personally just write on LinkedIn. That's my clarity. I write kind of what we're doing from a business sense. And the team, yeah, I mean, we're TikTok's our biggest platform. Then you go Instagram and then we're uh, kind of going down there. But as far as our team, we've learned that we learn more by talking about what we're doing and teaching and trying to grow and ask questions. So our team is very accessible, probably to a fault, but if you have any questions, we'd, we'd love to help. And then if somebody wants to catch the game, is it the savannabananas.com or is there some other website you want to send them to? Yes, jump on the waitlist priority list. And we actually have a list for cities to come to. We're going to be announcing probably early October, the 25 new cities will be taking banana ball to next year. And we can't wait. It's going to be fun. Jesse Cole, on behalf of all of my audience, I just want to say thank you so much for choosing to share what you've learned in this book and in today's interview we're better because of it thank you michael big fan love what you guys do if you missed anything we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 526 and if you're new to the show be sure to follow us if you've been a long time listener would you let your friends know about this show i'm at stelzner on instagram and at mike underscore stelzner on twitter this brings us to the end of yet another episode of the social media marketing podcast I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.